The high cost of protecting your home or condo keeps getting higher. Property insurance rates are skyrocketing, and Florida lawmakers promise action. Plus, the rising risk of wildfires here in Florida. This is the Florida Roundup from WLRN Public Media in Miami and WJCT Public Media in Jacksonville. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Melissa Ross. Well, this hour, homeowners are seeing huge increases in the cost to insure their properties, further fueling the high cost of living here. A special legislative session to fix the problems begins next week. What can lawmakers do about the high price of homeowners insurance? And then in a state surrounded by water, why climate change is increasing the risk of wildfires here. You can join our conversation statewide, 305-995-1800. Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, family-owned and operated since 1936. Guests can shop any of ABC's 125 Florida stores and get curbside service through abcfws.com. Welcome to the Florida Roundup here on Florida Public Radio. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hudson in Miami. And I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. Well, in case you hadn't heard, the state's property insurance market is in big trouble. Florida homeowners are paying more, a lot more, for less coverage for their homes. Some insurers are pulling out of the state altogether, and they're leaving tens of thousands of canceled policies in their wake. Other companies, they've just gone out of business. Either way... It's leaving a lot of people in the lurch. Maybe you are one of those homeowners scrambling to get covered right now. It is just remarkable, Melissa, and some of these increases in home insurance premiums are just eye-popping. 20% or more, three Florida property insurers, Lighthouse Property Insurance, Avatar Property and Casualty Insurance Company, and St. John's Insurance Company have all been declared insolvent just since February. Homeowners who've been dropped are now forced to go to the last resort, the state-run citizens' property insurance, backed by Florida taxpayers. So what's driving this crisis? Can state law get fixed? Laws be addressed? Are you struggling to get decent homeowners insurance just as the season approaches? Keep in mind, of course, that season starts June 1st. 305-995-1800. Homeowners, condominium owners, landlords, we want to hear from you. 305-995-1800. You can also share your experiences on Twitter. We're at Florida Roundup. Your calls and tweets in a bit. And a little later, we'll welcome some insurance experts, too, with their take on the crisis. But first, the Florida legislature is about to kick off another special session in Tallahassee. And this one is focused on, you guessed it, the state's property insurance mess. Experts say if lawmakers don't step in soon, Florida homeowners could soon be paying more for their insurance than their actual mortgage payments. Right now, we're pleased to welcome Tom Fabrizio, state representative for District 103 in Broward and Miami-Dade counties. Fabrizio sits on the Insurance and Banking Committee subcommittee in the Florida House. Representative Fabrizio, good to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Uh, can we begin by explaining... What are the major factors causing this crisis? So, uh, yes, first uh, off, yes, we are unequivocally in a crisis with regard to homeowners insurance. And uh, as you mentioned very well in your opening, uh, a a big element that we're seeing, which is part of the crisis, is the amount of carriers that have gone insolvent, uh, Avatar, St. John, Lighthouse, um, and... uh, 
recently we it didn't go insolvent, but uh, insurance carrier FedNAT um, entered into an agreement with the Office of Insurance Regulation and had to drop somewhere in the neighborhood of sixty some thousand policyholders. So uh, we see uh, policyholders going to citizens. Citizens is uh, beyond eight hundred thousand policies at this point, and rapidly increasing towards that one million. Uh, policy mark, which is uh, danger, uh, because of obviously if the wind blows uh, and uh, there's a terrible loss, uh, the state of Florida is uh, liable for that, and there would be assessments across the board beyond uh, the expenses for the Florida Insurance Guarantee Association, uh, FIGA, which is the state of Florida agency that handles claims for insolvent insurance carriers. Uh, So there's a problem. Uh, part of it. So the, the question is, why is it that these insurance carriers are going insolvent? Um, one of the factors that we look at, and one of the things that we believe is the cause, is uh, uh, the sheer amount of litigation in Florida with regard to these first-party pop- property claims. And uh, to understand that a little bit, we look at the we look at the entire nation as a whole, and we look at all the insurance claims in the entire nation. And in within the entire country, uh, Florida has eight percent. That's eight percent of all the claims, and that's a, that's a reasonable number for one of one of the fifty states to have. Um, however, um, that number really comes into perspective, and the problem, the crisis, comes into perspective when you consider that we have close to uh, well, we have three quarters uh, or pro- just a little bit under 80 percent of all the litigation in the country with regard to for- mm. uh, first party property claims is happening in Florida. So that's wow. a lot of claims. We have over 100,000 active cases in litigation going through the Florida court system right now with regard to insurance. So it's a lot of litigation. So the next question that I imagine you'd ask is what's causing all that litigation in Florida? Is it because Florida is different? Well, you know, the, the answer to the is Florida different is answered by the number of claims that we're seeing. You know, we have a reasonable number of claims. Uh, but what's really going on and driving this litigation? And, uh, you know, Florida does have a one-way attorney's fee statute, which pays prevailing party fees to homeowners, policyholders, uh, uh, if they prevail in litigation against their insurance carrier. But also Florida courts have been applying a attorney fee multiplier, uh, which uh, further multiplies the, the number of fee, the amount of fees that's paid. So uh, there are threats in most cases and most uh, claims and uh, cases that are filed against insurance carriers that uh, the insurance carrier would have to pay two or maybe three times uh, the attorney's fees uh, if there is a prevailing case. And there are courts that are granting those. Uh, so that's a problem. I mean, uh, there's mm. certainly motivation for folks to file claims uh, and l- litigation to ensue. And I, I spoke to, and now it's been about two months ago since I spoke to uh, Citizens CEO Barry Gilway, and we were talking about the amount of defense reserves, meaning the amount of money that Citizens has to hold back and reserve per claim. Uh, in order to pay defense counsel. That's their insurance defense attorneys to defend cases. And his comparison of that defense reserve um, 
cost uh, for a residual insurance carrier like Citizens in comparison to other residual insurance carriers throughout the country uh, is that Citizens is paying, uh, you know, two or three times or holding two or three times in defense reserves. So a lot of what's going on, a lot of what's being held by these carriers is money needed to defend cases because of the sheer amount of litigation. The sheer uh, so amount of it, litigation. It, 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 and, and if I may, uh, since there are folks waiting on hold to speak to you, can I ask you quickly before we go to callers, you laid out in fine fashion, and thank you for explaining this so well, what a complex problem this is. So let me ask you then, Representative Fabrizio, what can the legislature do in a short session to get at some of these issues, get homeowners some relief? So, I, and that's a great question. I want to start out by saying that I ardently believe, and I think most if most members of the leg- legislature would likely agree with me when I say that an insurance policy uh, is a contract between a homeowner and that insurance carrier. And that contract has certain requirements that the, that the insurance carrier has to adhere to when there is a properly uh, filed claim against that carrier. So if there is coverage for a loss, a carrier must pay that loss, pay, pay that claim. Um, and in situations where a carrier fails to cover a claim uh, that is covered by that policy, that homeowner should always have the, abil- the ability to seek recourse from the court system to enforce that contract. That's a breach of contract. So I ardently believe that that, that court recourse should be available. And I, I think what the problem is, is unfortunately the fee multiplier um, has encouraged uh, more claims and more litigation than what you see across the country. And addition, additionally to that, I think part of the issue is, and there's unequivocally, there have been uh, insurance carriers who have uh, had uh, improper claims practices. Uh, but if you look at this systemically across the board, the numbers uh, apply throughout all insurance carriers at this point in the state of Florida, and we're seeing this heightened amount of litigation. So there's there right. is a and so I'm just here. I'm just wondering what can you do legislatively? So to there's a couple of things. That? There's a couple of things. The number one thing I think needs to happen is because, as you mentioned in your opening, um, the hurricane season starts on June one, and that June one hurricane start date is very important for many different reasons. And it's also a date, one of the two dates when insurance carriers that are members of the admitted market in Florida have to disclose uh, and have to uh, file their um, their reinsurance contracts to show that they have sufficient reinsurance to handle the claims uh, if, um, if they come forth. So one of the things that we need to do is I think we need to do some ca- uh, catastrophe fund expansion to be able to allow insurance carriers that are on the verge of going insolvent to stay solvent. Uh, And my view would be that that CAT fund expansion that we do uh, should have a couple of characteristics. One, it should be optional for uh, for carriers who need it to be able to um, uh, avail themselves of it. And number two, it should be temporary. It should be 12 to 24 months because I don't believe the state of Florida should uh, get in the business of uh, augmenting the reinsurance markets. Um, so that's one thing that we can do to stop the hemorrhaging and stop the carriers that are going insolvent at the rate that they've been going. Uh, the number two thing that I think, uh, you know, we, I think we need to do, and uh, this week the governor was here in South Florida and he mentioned at a press conference uh, that there will be 
likely some tort reform going forward. One thing that I believe can be done to limit that sheer amount of litigation that we've been seeing is um, make some legislative changes to limit the use of the attorney fee multiplier. Um, that the attorney fee multiplier should only be applied in rare and exceptional circumstances. And the court's discretion as it's been applying it uh, should be limited to some degree. Representative, uh, stick think- with us. We want to take some phone calls here. Representative Tom Fabricio is with us, a Republican member of the Florida House of Representatives, member of the House and uh, the House Banking and Insurance Subcommittee, as uh, he and his fellow lawmakers will be back in session on Monday to try to tackle the home insurance uh, market here in the Sunshine State, 305-995-1800 to share your experiences, 305-995-1800. Also hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what your home property insurance experience has been like, at Florida Roundup on Twitter. Let's begin in Orlando, where Kelly has been very patient. Go ahead, Kelly. You're on the radio. Hi. Um, my husband and I, we actually have two properties, our primary residence and our rental, which were under St. John's Insurance when they went insolvent on March 1st. Um, with our primary residence, with some of the confusion with it going insolvent and um, I guess the slide insurance company that was taking it over, there was a gap and our bank ended up taking out an $11,000 insurance policy on our behalf when the policy we had was only about $2,000. And we've been having to sort through trying to get rid of that <laughs> that yeah. very expensive policy. Yeah, I can um, imagine. It, yeah, it's been sorted out, um, and we're good with our primary. But the issue we have with our rental property is that the roof on it is 17 years old, and we've been told that they are going to drop coverage if we don't replace the roof. So we have been trying to get a roofing contractor, and with all of the supply shortages and the concerns, we're not sure if we're going to have a new roof replaced in time before we end up losing the insurance completely by the end of this year. And that's another um that's going to force a lot more people even onto the citizens' insurance if there's not something that is yep. done to help with that stopgap. Yeah, Kelly, uh, you put your finger on uh, really one of the significant issues here, and it is the age and the condition of roofs in Florida. Representative Fabricio, I know this has been an issue that you and your fellow lawmakers have tried to tackle in the past regarding uh, kind of marketing campaigns around roofing contractors. Some of that got thrown out of court as a First Amendment violation. Any appetite to deal with uh, with the age of roofs and, and how insurance companies are dealing with them and the, the experience that Kelly in Orlando is trying to tackle right now? Kelly's issue is um, is something that a lot of folks are 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 experiencing. And and I had a I had a constituent call me recently um, who is a elderly person. Uh, well, you know, over sixty five. I don't like to say elderly. <laughs> okay, yeah. And uh, this person is on a fixed income. Uh, and there is a mortgage on the person's home and the that the insurance carrier in that for this individual uh, changed their underwriting guidelines to require that roofs be no older than 15 years for renewal Uh, this person has a 27 year old roof that she considers to be serviceable uh, but you know clearly uh, in order to get coverage uh, with that carrier um, they would need to have that roof uh, replaced this individual doesn't have the money to replace the roof, is on a fixed income, uh, will likely be forced placed because they'll be dropped by their carrier and their mortgage uh, lender will uh, force place coverage like Kelly's 
primary home had. Um, and uh, now there's going to be, there would be an escrow shortage and a higher mortgage payment and a potential foreclosure if this person can't be able to meet those payments. So it's a major problem. And I imagine that this is something that's occurring uh, throughout the state. So this is an issue that does need to be addressed. Um, mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, the roof issue, Tom, like you mentioned, um, we've seen uh, stem through stem from um, a lot of uh, inappropriate roof solicitation where some of the roof claims are legitimate, but there's a vast majority that, that tend to not be le legitimate, unfortunately, for a lot of different reasons, or there are late notice claims uh, that are way beyond the, 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 the date when they should be covered. Some of those elements, like you mentioned, that were part of Senate Bill 76, which we passed in 2021, have been struck down or held up by the courts in, 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 in different ways. Um, so I believe that there is an appetite to address that issue. I believe that there's an, uh, an appetite to make some clarifications that could help uh, address the late notice portions of the claim. Um, but uh, it's, it's, it is a problem and it needs to be resolved. We're getting emails about this, Mark, and Mayport emails the Florida Roundup. We should be able to set up escrow accounts for roof replacement with our insurance companies. 305-995-1800, Eric in Fort Lauderdale. Hi, Eric. Good afternoon. How are you? Great, thanks. Go ahead. So litigating these cases for clients throughout Florida, I've seen time and again that insurance companies are quick to use their enormous budgets, their almost endless resources, to litigate even obviously viable and legitimate claims because homeowners don't have that kind of money. The fee multiplier is the only tool in the legislative arsenal to level the playing field. Unlike a car accident case where your life usually can go on, people don't have anywhere to live while these cases are pending. And without the fee multiplier, I'm just afraid of the enormous increase in the number of people this hurricane season and every hurricane season thereafter who are going to be left at the whim of an insurance company that wants to increase their bottom line and not do what's right for homeowners. I think this legislation is a huge mistake. All right, Representative Fabricio, we hear there from an attorney. Your response? Sure. And listen, I started out by mentioning how I do believe that legitimate claims, we do have the 627 uh, attorney fee statute, which uh, I don't think is going to be uh, changed, uh, but the fee multiplier issue, uh, we saw several years ago when the fee multiplier issue started being applied, that litigation uh, increased by about 400%. Um, the fee multiplier, I believe, uh, should be applied in rare and exceptional cases. Uh, I don't believe, the, the reason for a fee multiplier is when is in order to be able to uh, find attorneys who are very specialized in a very specific area that are unavailable uh, for the community at large otherwise. Um, and, you know, it's, it, there is case law that talks about how it should be applied in rare and exceptional cases, and it shouldn't be the norm. Uh, so I do believe that we need a fee multiplier for the rare and exceptional cases uh, that require a high degree of spe specialization, but I, I wonder in, in South Florida uh, where that fee multiplier is applied. Um, I don't believe that there is a shortage of attorney plaintiffs attorneys uh, who are availing themselves of, uh, of the court system and handling these cases. There's thousands and thousands of these cases. So, and and there are, you know, 
I, I love my brethren on the other side of the bar, but I, I don't see a shortage of, uh, of attorneys. Uh, but well, I State do believe- Representative Fabricio, we'll have to leave it there. We will be following you in special session. Give us a call as we talk about the property insurance mess here on the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. We'll be right back. Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, Florida family-owned and operated since 1936, and a proud supporter of public radio. ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Always be celebrating. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup, and thanks for listening. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. In Miami, I'm Tom Hudson. We're talking about the ever-escalating costs to insure homes and condominiums in Florida. Some insurance companies canceling policies, limiting coverage, raising premiums by double digits. Other insurance companies are leaving Florida altogether or have collapsed, leaving property owners scrambling for coverage just as storm season is about to officially begin. Share your stories and experiences, questions with us, 305-995-1800. 305-995-1800. We're on Twitter as well. Look for our handle, at Florida Roundup. Mark Freelander is with us now, Director of Corporate Communications with the Insurance Information Institute. All right, Mark, how do you diagnose this problem? One-way attorney's fees, escalators, reinsurance costs, roofing exclusions. Diagnose the problem that Florida homeowner property insurance is in? Florida's property insurance market is collapsing. That's the best way we could describe it. It is a mess beyond proportions. Just in the last 90 days, we've had three insurers go insolvent. A fourth company just announced they're canceling more than 68,000 policies midterm, a very unusual move that was allowed by the Florida Office of Insurance Regulation. And they're doing this because in order to survive, they need to reduce their risk. So they're canceling 68,000 policies and keeping 83,000. This is FedNAT Insurance Group right. out of South Florida. At this point, most homeowners have no options of where to turn to get insurance coverage. Uh, we heard from a homeowner recently who said they got a new roof, They've never had a claim on their home, so they have no risk factors from that perspective, yet they still can't get coverage. Their That's risk how factor, bad. The risk factor, Mark, is that they're a homeowner in Florida. Well, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's where we're at now, where the only option is either citizens, the Florida insurer of last resort, or what's called a surplus lines carrier, which is an out-of-state insurer, not regulated by the state of Florida, could charge much higher rates than a Florida insurer could, and also may not offer the same level of protection for you and your family that a Florida insurer could. So So it's a big problem. You have got a dire diagnosis that the Florida home property insurance market is collapsing. So Florida state lawmakers will be back at work in Tallahassee on Monday. What would you like lawmakers to consider to reform the insurance market to stop the collapse and then to rebuild it? Well, first of all, Florida lawmakers need to agree on what needs to be fixed. Here we are Friday afternoon, and there's been no bill proposed yet. We've just been told in the last half hour, the leaders of the House and the Senate have not agreed 
on terms of a package. We were expecting to see the package 48 hours ago, then 24 hours ago, then this morning, there's nothing there. So until the leaders of the Florida House and the Florida Senate can agree on a package, we've got yeah. even a bigger problem on our hands because what are you going to resolve if you can't agree on anything? So try to help prioritize here. We were just talking to Representative Fabrizio, talking, right. you know, he identified litigation risks, right? The the enormous exponential increase in, in home insurance litigation over the past few years, raising the risk uh, and lowering the risk tolerance for home insurance companies. Uh, one-way attorney's fees escalator. We've heard from insurance companies about the higher cost of insurance for themselves, the so-called reinsurance market. We've seen insurance companies point to uh, uh, roofing exclusions. That's the latest kind of version between sinkholes and then uh, assignment of benefits, and now it's roofing. So what's the prioritization? If you had to put put your pen on this is the thing that lawmakers need to come out of next week with something, what is it? Well, two key areas. One is stop the roof fraud schemes, which is an action that the CFO, Jimmy Petronas, is already taking with his investigative unit. He made a major announcement about this with plans to beef up that unit last week. That's a good start. And stop the runaway litigation and the one-way attorney fees. This has been addressed in previous legislative sessions. It's never made it to the finish line in terms of a strong bill to stop these one-way multipliers, as you call them. For example, you could have a $40,000 claim and it goes to court and the attorney walks away with $700,000 or more in fees. The $40,000 goes to the homeowner. That's all they get. The $700,000 plus goes to the trial attorney. This is completely out of control and it doesn't happen in any other state. And it's because of a state Supreme Court ruling in 2017, which allows this to basically be applied in virtually every type of property claim lawsuit. Doesn't happen anywhere else. 305-995-1800. Are you having trouble getting insurance for your home, condo? Here's a tweet. My homeowners went up $900 from the last year. I had to find another company, and it was very difficult. I've only been in my house for two years, they say. Well, Lynn Hatter, news director at WFSU in Tallahassee, has been listening in and joins us now with some thoughts. Hey, Lynn. Hey, thanks for having me. So you know a lot about this, too. In fact, you've been following the historic problems with property insurance in Florida over time. How long has the state had issues with this? Oh, this goes back almost 20 years. Uh, you, you first started seeing the emergence of it following Hurricane Andrew in 1992, but it really was not until the 2004-2005 hurricane season where the crisis emerged. And for those of us who were here in 04-05, you might remember Francis, Charlie, Ivan, crisscrossing the state, pretty much hitting every single major metro and, and, and really eviscerating um, our property insurance market. Shortly after that storm season, you saw a lot of the big insurance companies flee. And that began sort of the growth of citizens, the state-backed uh, insurer of last resort. Citizens had at one point about 1.3 million policies. And, and that was the beginning, really, of the crisis that we see today. Mm -hmm. And we heard Mark Friedlander just now with the Insurance Information Institute say the market is actually collapsing. 
it's as serious as it can get, according to the experts. You're there in Tallahassee. The lawmakers are going to go back for a short session. What can they honest? What can they realistically do in that short special session to try to deal with this massive problem? Well, as Mr. Freelander said, they right now they have nothing. Um, this is longstanding. One of the big issues has been this concern over fraud, and it's interesting to know that the fraud keeps changing. Sort of as Tom pointed out, at first you start. There was a lot of concern um, starting in 2011, which is when the five-year time frame uh, for policies uh, expired. You saw a lot of people in 2011 claiming storm damage from 0405. That was the first issue. Then in 2011, you saw a rise in sinkhole claims, and the legislature tried to limit those sinkhole claims, which caused a whole other problem because people with legitimate issues like bad bad foundations couldn't get those fixed. And then you saw the emergence of the assignment of benefits issue. And that's where a homeowner will sign over those rights to a contractor, let the contractor negotiate with the insurer. We tried to do some changes around that in 2019 because that was sort of the fraud piece of the bubble then didn't quite work out. And now we're on to roofs. And so the the issue keeps changing every couple of years, but underlying it is this issue of Florida is quickly becoming uninsurable. And that is what a lot of the insurance companies are looking at. And that's what's really concerning to citizens um, because there are so many people on it. And what a lot of people don't realize is that if citizens runs out of money, If the citizens reinsurance program runs out of money, then the rest of us have to pay. And we are paying for people on citizens through surcharges on things like your auto policy. So even if you don't have citizens for home insurance, but say you have Geico, like I do, you're going to be paying for those costs. And so it is not just a burden for the people who are on citizens, it really is a risk for everyone else. And the legislature cannot seem to reach an agreement because a lot of the things that we've tried in the past have come back to sort of bite us in the butt. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's 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 a cycle. <laughs> yeah, the whack-a-mole. It's like, whack, it's like whack-a-mole. Yeah, exactly. It, it, I've heard it described as the fraud bubble. It, it really is a game of whack-a-mole. But when you scrape all of the fraud concerns and everything else away, Florida is a long-term risk. You know, insurers don't just look at 30 years from now. They're looking at 100 years from now. And there are a lot of different things that are pulling into those concerns from insurers of whether they're going to have enough money to pay for Florida. Lynn, stick with us. Lynn Hatter with WFSU in Tallahassee. Mark Friedlander is still with us as well with the Insurance Information Institute. We want to hear your stories about home insurance, condominium insurance, 305-995-1800, at Florida Roundup on Twitter. Let's hear a few of these stories here uh, from uh, across the peninsula in the panhandle. Julian Plantation, you're up. Go ahead, Julie. Thanks for calling. Thank you for taking my call. I wanted to share a story uh, that I have about a water leak and filing a claim with my insurance company. And just a brief history, I used to have insurance through State Farm, and after decades, they dumped me. So I started looking again, and due to the age of my house, my only options were Citizens or St. John's. I signed in with St. John's and paid premiums for several years, and then in July of 2016, had a pinhole 
leak in a water pipe. Went down through the walls underneath travertine flooring, mm -hmm. notified them, ended up, my deductible, I believe, was about $2,500. Um, they sent out some water and mold remediation people who didn't dry the house out. So I hired someone else, and when they came out, they looked around the whole house and found that I had a second leak, which was my garbage disposal had corroded on the back side. And I bring this up because what ensued then was I was liable now for a second deductible. So I had to pay another $2,500, and the insurance company's uh, maximum amount they had to pay didn't increase a penny. Hmm. So that was one issue. Then with, the, with St. John's, they did send out, their adjuster who looked around and their initial offer was less than $15,000 to repair my house. I knew that was not anywhere in the ballpark. And a friend of mine mentioned a public adjuster, which I was completely unfamiliar with, uh, but ended up hiring one. And I will say that I certainly ended up with more money than I would have without them, but that was also not a, a perfect system. Yeah. Then I received a letter from St. John saying that my flooring might not be covered hmm. because I had continuous travertine flooring, which was obviously going to be a big expense. Public adjuster hired that, or, or I'm sorry, took care of all that. Um, then I, because of the water and mold, I had to move out of my house into an apartment. And despite sending in receipts for months, which were approaching $30,000, St. John's wouldn't release any payment on my temporary living costs. So I was forced to hire an attorney. Um, we did eventually settle, but it took two and a half years. And the 15000 we ended up settling for over a quarter of a million dollars to put this in context. So I don't know what the answer is to the litigation, but when insurance companies are trying to lowball like that, I'm not a bit surprised yeah. at any of it. Julie, and, yeah, go ahead. Well, the nature of my leak, I ended up not having water, and I've only recently been able to get the most of the renovation done. I haven't been able to get insurance even if I wanted it for over five years. <laughs> yeah. Julie, I appreciate you sharing uh, what a heck of a journey you have experienced there with home insurance here in Florida. You're listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Brian, want to hear from you. Go ahead, Brian. You're on the radio. Hi. Yes, thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a, a similar story in which we were forced to hire an attorney to recover anything at all uh, from a water damage claim that occurred when our shower pan failed in an upstairs bathroom and leaked into the kitchen, causing about $35,000 worth of damage. Um, even though the bathroom had been renovated only two years prior, the insurer, um, Sprintline Insurance, claimed that uh, it was a maintenance issue, that we had improperly maintained mm -hmm. the grout, uh, and they refused to pay the claim. And uh, again, we, we would not have recovered anything if we did not hire an attorney on a contingency. Um, and at the end, you know, the insurer just claimed appraisal, which is another controversial state law, which precludes us from uh, engaging in further litigation. So we weren't able to recover any of our attorney's fees. Uh, so on a $35,000 claim, we only walked away with about $9,000, had to refinance our house to cover the rest of the damage. So it's really kind of hard to provoke any sort of empathy for the insurance agency here in Florida, which I think um, is unburdened by a, a moral compass at all. I mean, it was a complete disaster. It took 11 months of litigation to, to recover any damage at all. 
And then now we're faced with a, um, a threat of non-renewal because we only have, like the other caller stated, very hard to uh, get insured now because we had a claim. Even though the damage has been repaired, uh, we can either go with citizens, which is going to force us to get an entirely near, new roof because our roof is you know, 11 years old, or we can renew with Frontline again. Um, and they are telling us they want us to replumb the entire house, even though their own adjusters didn't find any issue with the plumbing. The plumbing did not cause oh. the leak. So yeah. it's just sort of a retaliatory reprisal um, to punish, you know, the insured yeah. from filing a claim. Well, so Brian, I, I, pre- I pre- really appreciate you sharing that story with us there from New Smyrna Beach. Yeah. Thanks for calling. Lots of people tweeting the show about their horror stories, too. Let's close with Mark Friedlander of the Insurance Information Institute. Mark, in the short time we have left before the break, do you think people will eventually start throwing up their hands, leave the state if they can't insure their house? Well, first of all, it's unfortunate, the two stories uh, that were just shared with us, but that's not the issue we're talking about. We're not talking about individual claims where somebody has a dispute with their insurer. We're talking about fraud, out-and-out fraud, where roofers are scamming homeowners, and they're working with unscrupulous attorneys to file lawsuits by the thousands and collecting hundreds of thousands in fees from insurance companies. That's the problem here. And that's what needs to be addressed by the legislature. And do you think they can get at the problem in the short session? <laughs> to you be honest, I don't have confident. a No, I don't. I'm sorry. I wish if I did. No, I don't have a lot of confidence, but they need to start taking at least first steps to get towards stability. No matter what comes out of Tallahassee next week, it's not going to fix everything. We are realistic about that, but they at least need to have a starting point. Thank you for that. And thanks for your expertise, Mark Friedlander, Insurance Information Institute, and Lynn Hatter, covering this issue for a long time and well at uh, WFSU in Tallahassee. Thank you both so much for being with us. Thanks for having us. And as if that weren't enough of a headache, guess what? More wildfires are expected to be plaguing Florida in the coming years, too. That conversation's coming up in a minute here on the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, family-owned and operated since 1936. Guests can visit 125 stores throughout Florida or shop online at abcfws.com. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup here on Florida Public Radio. Thanks for supporting public broadcasting in your community. In Miami, I'm Tom Hudson. And in Jacksonville, I'm Melissa Ross. Well, Florida is a state surrounded by water, and usually we worry about the, the effects of flooding and sea level rise here, driven by climate change. But a new report says wildfires are also a growing cause for concern. Yeah, research from the First Street Foundation released on Monday suggests that as climate change warms the planet, the risk of wildfires here in the Sunshine State could double by the year 2050. So wildfires, a new risk, perhaps a growing risk for uh, South Florida homeowners, 305-995-1800, 305-995-1800 to join our conversation or at Florida Roundup on Twitter. Dr. Jeremy Porter is with us now, Chief Research Officer for the First Street Foundation, the group behind this research. Dr. Porter, welcome to Florida Public Radio. Thanks for your time. 
Hey, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Wildfires can happen here in Florida. They can happen in the forests, in the panhandle. We see them here in South Florida in the sawgrass of the Everglades, for instance. How significant is the risk today, and how is that expected to change? Yeah, the, the risk is actually much higher than, than what many people probably think from a, from a national perspective. I know there are people in, in Florida that, that live with wildfire, know that wildfire exists. We talked earlier, or you mentioned earlier, the panhandle of Florida recently in Bay County. Uh, the Everglades are, 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 are often uh, also uh, have fires, but it, it, it's something that, that people live with. And I think that people don't, don't actually understand or don't uh, appreciate the wildfire risks that exist in the state of Florida or throughout the country from a national perspective. So how's that, how's, that oh, expect, ahead, how's that expected to change with climate change? What does your research lead you to predict? We're, we're finding that on average, uh, wildfire risk across the country is, is going to about double. And, and that's, that experience is the same in Florida. Places that have risk, it's only going to get worse. Places that don't have risk, we're going to end up seeing uh, larger extents of wildfire risk, new, new, new properties coming at risk. Yeah, so where is the risk uh, going to be growing? Where is it currently and where is it growing in Florida? Um, it's it's most it's predominantly uh, is in sort of central Florida around Polk County, the Orlando area. We see a lot of risk currently relative relative to the to the rest of the state. The growing risk is predominantly in the Panhandle area. And climate change is the contributing factor, but how is climate change contributing to the higher risk of wildfire here in Florida? Yeah, in our models uh, in particular, we we hold development constant, so all of the increase that we find is due to climate change. And there there are a couple components specifically. One is the decreasing humidity, uh, one is the increasing temperature, and one is changing precipitation patterns. Hmm. Let's go to Alex Harris now. She covers climate change for the Miami Herald. Hey, Alex. Hi, Melissa. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. You've been writing about this in the Herald. For example, when Hurricane Mar- Michael tore through the state in 2018, it took down 3 million acres of felled trees. That provided fuel for the wildfires that went through later, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, that was the Chipola complex fire, and it led to um, tons of evacuations, destroyed two homes, and more than 30,000 acres of forest. Um, but luckily, no one was uh, killed or injured. That's good. Now, Let's talk a little bit, if we could, about how Florida's rapid pace of development might be a contributing factor. What does your research show there? So one of the interesting things I learned from Dr. Porter and the First Street Foundation when I was writing this story is the reason Florida is number three in the nation for increased fire risk under climate change under their model is because precisely what you mentioned, we have so much development. We have so many smaller parcels because everything's been broken up that we have physically more pieces of land at risk compared to places in the West where maybe you have thousands of acres that count as one parcel. So when we are subdividing this land and putting more and more people on smaller pieces of property, we're putting more people at risk. It seems counterintuitive, right? I mean, we think of the West as being the place where this is a problem, but our the way our built environment is set up here is causing problems. Yeah, it's a, it's a ironic when we're a state known for hurricanes and for floods, but uh, this research really shows that wildfire risk is something real and we should be preparing for it in the future. And let's talk about that. What can we do both uh, as individuals and then what can our government do to mitigate this risk? Because it is a real risk, according to the research we're hearing from First Street Foundation about. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I spoke with uh, Brian Williams for this piece. He's a meteorologist with the Florida Forest Service. And I mean, he agreed, first of all, that these uh, findings make sense to him. He says it fits in with what he is watching. Um, but we talked a little bit and he said that he thinks Florida actually has pretty good uh, resources and defenses to keep an eye on um, forest fires and other wildfires. And of course, I think anyone who lives in areas that are at risk particularly people in Collier County over on the West Coast or along the Everglades should really keep a close eye on evacuation orders and be really tuned in with the, what their local emergency managers have to say. That's good advice all the time, but especially uh, as the planet keeps heating up, we are talking about a new study showing an increased risk of wildfires in Florida. In fact, the risk is expected to double by the year 2050. This is the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. 305-995-1800 to join our conversation. Dr. Jeremy Porter, Chief Research Officer for the First Street Foundation, still with us. Dr. Porter, are there lessons that Florida ought to be thinking about or putting in place now, considering the relatively lower risk of wildfires here compared to states out west that have had a historic wildfire problem and challenge in how they've addressed it versus what tools perhaps Floridians have? Yeah, one of the things we found in our research was actually that a lot of states in the southeast, including Florida, do do a, a good job of fire suppression and 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 sort of uh, clearing out fuel so that that fires don't uh, grow to the the size that they have in in the West. I think one of the bigger issues uh, really is that there's not a national level property scale uh, model that existed. This is really the first time this has been produced. It, it gives individual property owners and communities the ability to both understand risk, but then also to allocate resources to mitigate against that risk. In terms of the emergency response, how prepared is Florida? Uh, Florida firefighters, right, uh, w- would I propose, I suppose, would be the, the, the first responders and are the first responders to these wildfires. Yeah, uh, in, in, in general, I mean, having this type of information uh, available allows emergency responders the ability to understand, you know, where, where these types of events are, are likely to occur in lots of areas around Florida. And I know we mentioned the Everglades a few times. The Everglades burn in, in controlled burns, but they oftentimes are protected against uh, neighborhoods so that they don't, they don't come into contact with homes. Yeah. How at risk is property in Florida to this forecast about a doubling of the wildfire risk in Florida by the middle of the century? Well, that doubling is going to make fires more intense. And when you have more intense fires, what you're really going to see grow are, are, are ember zones and areas in which embers from these fires can then come into contact with homes. So personal you know, property owners have to do things like clear defensible space around their homes or make sure their eaves are covered so that the embers aren't sucked into the attics of the home. But it, it, you know, it's not that the wildfire itself will come into contact with the property, but the growing risk will, will also increase the, the, the likelihood of coming into contact with embers. Now, you have a tool people can use online to let users check the fire risk at their address, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we've, we've created a fire factor tool and, and coupled it with our flood factor tool on riskfactor.com. So just type in your address, check the flood risk, check the fire risk, see if you're in a a zone where you might not want to be. Uh, That's important to to check out, Tom. Everyone in Florida should be doing that. Yeah. And Alex, I'm wondering, as you covered climate change for a good number of years, how is this kind of forecast, this kind of prediction greeted in the advocacy community, in the community of 
climate change scientists, adapters, and chief resilience officers, that kind of population? Well, to be frank, I think uh, the reaction is always, oh, God, something else to worry about. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Climate change really affects our state in so many ways. It's really, I mean, fire is just the, the newest one we're talking about right now, but flooding, stronger storms, effects on the property market, our insurance market, like you guys just spent talking, uh, yeah. spent this uh, segment talking about. There's so many different ways that climate change is affecting us. And I think that uh, when government leaders and NGOs and other advocacy groups all see this, they think, okay, this just sort of adds to the urgency. Uh, that this state really needs to have a more comprehensive method of addressing the risks of climate change that we all face. Yeah, Dr. Porter, what, what would you like to come out of this in terms of the regulatory and advocacy and legislative response? Here in Florida, it's been the response that's there has been focused on sea level rise and, and flooding particularly. Yeah, at, at the First Street Foundation, our, our mission is really to quantify and communicate climate risk in a way that's easy to understand, easy to digest. We want people to be able to take this information, to go on riskfactor.com, understand their community risk, understand their property risk, and then use it in a way that best allows them to arm themselves with information and mitigate against that risk. So that can happen at the property level, that can happen at the community level, but having that information uh, is, is the most important uh, sort of point from our perspective. Well, uh, interesting research, uh, concerning research, certainly, to look at here in Florida and uh, really shining a light on a risk that uh, Floridians know exists, but uh, how that risk grows because of climate change is uh, really fascinating. Concerning all at the same time, Dr. Jeremy Porter, Chief Research Officer for the First Street Foundation, behind this forecast for the uh, expected doubling of the risk of wildfires in Florida by the middle of this century. Alex Harris wrote about that uh, uh, report. She covers climate change for the Miami Herald in South Florida. Alex and Dr. Porter, thanks so much for spending your time with us here on the Florida Roundup. Thank you. And thanks for listening to the show produced by WJCT Public Media in Jacksonville and WLRN Public Media in Miami. Our producers are Heather Schatz, Natu Tway, and Katherine Hobbs. Our technical director is Richard Ives, engineering help from Doug Peterson, Charles Michaels, and Brady Corum. Peter Merritt answers the phones. Our theme music is provided by Miami jazz guitarist Aaron Levos at AaronLevos.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Melissa Ross. Make it a great weekend. We'll be back next Friday. Support for the Florida Roundup comes from ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, family-owned and operated since 1936. Guests can shop any of ABC's 125 Florida stores and get curbside service through ABCFWA.